Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. This week, I'm excited to be talking to Jane Flanagan. Jane is a very experienced weaver who lives in Maine, and she's been active in starting and leading a number of weaving guilds in New England, which is a topic I know many of you have been eager to hear about on the podcast. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for talking to me on the podcast today. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. (laughs) Could you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you first learned to weave and what you love about it? My name is Jane Flanagan, and I first learned to weave back, okay, this is way back, (laughs) in high (laughs) school, and that was in the late 60s, and It's just so intricate and infinite and has lots of cool tools. You know, um, I weave on everything from backstrap to a draw loom, but I refuse to get connected uh, with a a digital Dobby because I can't fix it myself. Hmm. Um, I'm firmly committed to sticks and string. And so did you weave like after high school, did you just keep weaving straight through or was there a time when you took a break and then you came back to it? Or? Yeah, it's called you... real, real life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, job, kids, all that good stuff. But through that, I was still doing the things that you could put down and pick up easily, like the ankle loom and knitting, needlepoint. You know, I went through all that stuff. So all the things that you could pick up and put down, but still the weaving called me back because it was so infinite and intricate and took some thought, took more thought than some of the other things did. What kind of things do you like to weave? Oh, I'll weave just about anything once. Hmm. Um, Mostly rectangular and flat because... (laughs) They don't have to fit me. They just have to fit a space. And what kind of materials do you like to work with? Um, mostly cotton, because it's easy to get a hold of. But I do spin as well. So a little bit of wool here and there. But it takes so long to spin enough for anything substantial. And so many people aren't wearing wool nowadays that it's you know hard to justify going through all that process sometimes so yeah so i was introduced to you by rose spinelli who is active in a lot of the weaving guilds in new england and she told me that you are active in the leadership what she said was of every weaving guild in new england (laughs) (laughs) and i really will get her I'm curious if you could tell me and my listeners a little bit about what weaving guilds are, how you started to get involved, what your leadership with them is like, and just kind of a 101 about, about what they are. Weavers guilds are come in many shapes and forms. They come from, they start usually in somebody's living room with three or four people who might have met in a yarn store or through some other group, you know, that has absolutely nothing to do with weaving. 
because you know when you walk into a room and you say weaving if heads move around and <laughs> those are the ones you go to <laughs> so uh so they start small they can get huge uh i belong to the southern main guild of spinners and weavers so that's combined with other you know with with spinners um and knitters they it's more of a fiber guild than specifically weaving and then they're really small right now but they've gone from anywhere from 12 people up to 50 people 60 people now we're in a low ebb um, and then there's like the boston weavers guild which is goes through ebbs as well recently in the past oh decade and a half They've been all the way down to 180 or so people, but now they're way up over 250 a membership. And then uh, New Hampshire Weavers Guild, that goes, that's been around 140 to 180 or just below 200. And so there are all sizes, and they all have, they all can have a different focus. Like I said, one little small group is more of a fiber group. And that's the first group I joined when I moved back from Minnesota. And then there are the larger groups which are focused on weaving, although they usually run classes and some of the classes can be allied fiber arts, like spinning paper or adding knitting and crochet to the edge of a woven garment or things that are allied like that it, it, it so the and it kind of depends on who's looking to put the programs together at the time what their focus is no matter what position in leadership what i tell people is if you've done it for a while if you're not having any fun anymore leading it then get out because mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just no fun. If it's no fun, you're not going to do a good job. So, and most leaders get into the position because either their arm twisted into it, <laughs> or <laughs> we know how that works, or um, there's something about it that they know they can do better or more efficiently because that's part of the, the niche they have already. That's part of the role that they don't have to learn in order to do it. And when you get into a good guild with a lot of people working and the people that are working realize that you have to bring in new people all the time. So they keep asking. They don't form this leadership click. Um, and, and that doesn't happen in the weavers guilds that I know of around here. But I know it happens in, I have other hobbies, so it happens in those kinds of hobbies. So I know it happens, but for some reason, it doesn't seem to happen as much in Weaver's Guild. Because everybody's codependent, everybody's looking for ideas all the time. So it's, it's a good place to be a leader. Because you get help, particularly if you ask for it. You know, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for it. Well, that was far-ranging. How'd that? <laughs> I like it. I like it. 
So do do the guilds that you work with, do you have sample libraries or what are the different sorts of resources that your members are able to access? Sample libraries and guild libraries of books hmm. and uh, audio and visual. Uh, so, and each one of them, uh, for instance, well, the Southern Maine Guild had to move. So that's one of the problems with libraries and guilds because you need a space for that library. And I know Roe has a big space <laughs> for all the new, new England Weaver Seminar Guild samples. Uh, so if you have a guild big enough, then you can sometimes find a space uh, near a hall that you rent or maybe you have your own guild house. That that's awesome because then you can do anything with that house. But you, a lot of people, a lot of guilds just rent a space, and then they rent the space for their library of books. And usually, it's open every time there's a guild meeting, and you, and most times by appointment if that's what the librarian will do. So weaving is a pretty often pretty solitary craft, unlike knitting or other sorts of things that you can carry around. Like a loom is pretty big. You're probably not going to bring it to your friend's house and like <laughs> chat all afternoon. And so I'm curious, what was it that first sparked your interest in weaving guilds, which is the first one you joined? And, and why has that become such a big part of your life and your weaving? Because nowadays you can't go over to your neighbor's house and see what's on her loom. Hmm. I mean, a long time ago, yeah, you could do that. Well, of course, you'd have to get on the horse and travel for two hours <laughs> to get over to the next farm. But I mean, it, weaving was a lot more prevalent before the Industrial Revolution, and people knew what they were talking about, even you know, like in my house, all I have, I have two sons and a husband. They all know the difference between weaving and knitting and crocheting even. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been training them for a long time. Um, but, I mean, as you know, if you demo, you go to a demo and you, and you get comments like, look at what she's knitting on that wheel. Mm -hmm. Or... And people just don't know. Or when I demo for the third graders that come through the Historical Society every September, I take a 22-inch Harrisville there, weighs about 62 pounds, so I don't haul that around everywhere. But the first question I ask each little group is, oh, I see everybody's wearing clothes today. Where did they come from? They don't have a clue. And you can ask the same question about food, and they don't have a clue. So it, it's fascinating to me the processes of what it takes just to survive, to clothe. You know, I mean, there's, there's only three major things, food, clothing, and shelter. So everything about those kind of processes fascinates me. I may not get a project all the way done. <laughs> I'm one of those people that says, okay, after the first two inches of a weaving project, okay, I know it works, I'm bored, what's next? I'm easily distracted. 
So anyway, so when I first, uh, let's see, I got my, I got a spinning wheel in 1973 when we had to wait six months, six weeks for them to come over on the boat from New Zealand, from Ashford. Hmm. And they were all in pieces, and that whole wheel, including shipping, cost me all of $32. Wow. Yeah. But those were the bad old days. That was, uh, I was at school at UMass Amherst, and that was just about the time that webs opened up, right in the same era. So... In between 73 and 81, when I moved back from Minnesota, I didn't have a guild. I mean, the Minnesota, I took a spinning class at the Weavers Guild of Minnesota, but that was it, just one class. And I, so I really had no idea what a big guild was, what it did. But this other, the guild that I went into the Southern Maine Guild when I got here was small and everybody was sharing ideas and the way you got to know people was by learning about what they did. So that's a great way to get to know people because you, you could figure out who they are by the projects that they finish or start and can't finish where they are in the process of learning. So that was that guild. And then I was invited to belong to, well, we call it a guild, but it's not a guild. I mean, or the other way around. It's not a guild. We don't call it a guild on purpose. It's a study group, but it's called Mainly Weavers. And we now have 52 members, hmm. which is about the size of uh, the Vermont Guild, as a matter of fact, or some of the Western Massachusetts guilds. But we have, and we meet once every month. We don't stop for anything. Uh, so it's the first Wednesday. Come on down, anybody. First Wednesday, and then um, we have little bitty study groups in the morning. And then we have break for lunch. And then we do a round table with everybody in the room. Usually about 30 people come. So... Everybody knows what everybody else is working on. And as soon as the meeting breaks up, you'll see all these little clusters of people because they want to have a little bit more conversation about what was shown at the show and tell. So that's another way to run it because we're not quite big enough to run like a big guild does, like Boston does. Boston runs four morning classes and then they have an afternoon speaker for the entire group. Similar to New Hampshire Weavers Guild, which runs three morning classes plus something that's free called Weavers Helping Weavers, which is wide ranging. And then they, you know, everybody has lunch and then they have an afternoon speaker. Some guilds flip it the other way around. Uh, Vermont has sort of a morning speaker for everybody, and then you sign up for one class if you want to take it in the afternoon. So there are a lot of different ways to run a guild. That's a really great 
survey of a bunch of of a bunch of different ways so i'm curious are people in your guild mostly doing like a particular kind of floor loom weaving or do you also have people who are doing tapestry weaving or wall hangings or or what's what's the range of of work that people do i would say floor loom weaving is 95 percent and then you've got floor loom weavers that a few of them have a draw loom and they'll try other things like inkle and then they'll they'll see a neat loom that was for sale uh, like a little structo and they'll put something on a structo uh, a, just a tiny bit of rigid heddle uh, particularly for band weaving um, uh, not too much card weaving that seems to be <laughs> people seem to either hate it or love it Mm. I love it. <laughs> uh, so I would say 95%. And the tapestry weavers, they, they kind of come and kind of go because tapestry, if you're into tapestry, that is what you do, it seems like. Seems like you don't range over a wide variety and include tapestry. So... Yeah, and are are guilds suitable for people who are brand new beginners? And maybe Absolutely. Are okay, tell Absolutely. me more about that. <laughs> because the guilds uh, try to set up programs that are suitable to the most number of members. If you can't, you can't actually break even. If you're only catering to classes that cater to uh, weavers that are, for instance, weaving on a Dobby loom, an electronic Dobby loom, because people just don't have the equipment. So nobody's going to sign up. So you, you can't break even on that class. So that's logistically, you can't do it that way. So you try for the basics. You go for um, structures. You go for color classes, and between that, you've got it all covered. But, you know, everybody looks at color in a different way. So it behooves a beginner to take classes on color, for instance, from more than one teacher. Because they're going to get, they can't get it all at once for one thing. And they're going to get pieces They're going to connect with different teachers at different places. So they're going to get different pieces of their knowledge from different teachers. And the same thing happens with structures. All those structures, you can break it down a little bit more. Because you could say, okay, we're doing overshot. Or, okay, we're doing summer and winter. Or, okay, we're doing uh, treadling variations that you have to do for your ratings at the Weaving Weavers Guild of Boston, for instance. Uh, so you can break it down a whole lot of ways, but you have, but there, most of them we say we try to get suitable for all levels, and that'll say right. It'll say that right in the description, in that's in a newsletter for when you're looking and you want to sign up for classes and you get to read the description. And it will usually say suitable for all levels 
or if there's something a little bit more intense, then yeah, it's suitable. But people know each other so well in these guilds, and they're so friendly, that the people that are hiring teachers know what levels of people are going to you know be looking for classes so they are and they want to fill those classes so that's that's how that works so if somebody is new to weaving and interested in looking for a guild or maybe they just moved in there in a new location what is a good way of finding a guild? Is there like a central website that lists all of them? Or do you just have to start Googling? How can people find You them? can Google. Ah, let's see. So your local yarn shop, a weaving shop. You look at summer demos or any demos actual, actually. Wool festivals, even if, if you go online and look at the particular details for a particular wool festival that's in your area they will have advertisers you can look for that county fairs uh, art fairs state arts associations fiber conferences and lessons listed in magazines and the hand weavers guild of america has a free listing of guilds so it does not even if your your guild is not an affiliated member of hga your guild can get listed as a resource right on their website for free. So that's a really good source. And you, oh, go ahead, sorry. And you, had, you, you might have to be making, willing to make more than one call. You know, don't just stop with one call. Just be persistent. Because guilds are entirely volunteer run, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, if you're in an area without a guild, do you have advice for people who are interested in starting one? Well, you can get together in a tiny living room <laughs> and, and just start. It, guilds are all about education first and community second, or, you know, some people might argue that order. So it depends on um, what kind of a guild you want. The bigger guilds, they're more organized um, because that's how you manage a lot of people. So they're more formal in what they offer for education. The smaller guilds, like my itty bitty guild that I'm in right now, is they don't have the, the number of people that we need to hire a lot of teachers you know on a regular basis so we have a lot of in-house instruction if somebody will volunteer for 10 minutes or 15 minutes to show the whole group how to do something so that it starts it's all starts small <clears throat> and then actually there are i'm thinking of one guild now the minnesota guild that has more or less permanent study groups which are like a guild within a guild and they start small and they have their own little projects but then you know they bring their results back to their bigger guild so you could be associated with 
a guild that's bigger. Okay, um, New Hampshire has one central guild, but they have a whole lot of little study groups all over the state that are very informal, totally informal. I'm not even sure exactly how many there are. However, okay, so the next step from that is Connecticut, which runs a big statewide guild meeting. I think it's four times a year, but they break the state into areas and each area has an area meeting that's more formal than a little study group in somebody's living room. So each one of those areas will have education and bring teachers in as well. So it, it's just such a continuum. Well, Jane, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing about guilds and all the New England guilds and other opportunities for people to get involved. And before we sign off, I'm curious if you have any closing advice or words of wisdom that you would want to share with other weavers out there. Well, particularly for a new weaver, if they can do it, I would strongly suggest an intensive workshop, like three or four days long at least, with one teacher so that they can learn all the processes that that teacher has grown accustomed to using together. Okay, Either, um, either like an American-based one where we all picked things up from the Industrial Revolution techniques or, for instance, a Swedish one where everything is put together. All, all the steps you use are so ergonomically correct for that Swedish loom. They, they all naturally flow together. But if you spend time learning from one teacher and learn their process from start to finish, and you can understand, and then you can learn another process from another teacher, and then you can pick things to pick and choose because not everything works for everybody. There are there's definitely more ways to do things than more than one way to do things. Uh, so if you're having trouble, ask, find out. Don't get stuck by saying, I only do something this way. Like warping front to back, back to front. I do it one way for one loom and another way for another loom because it just works better for different looms. So just keep learning. Um, I do want to mention that they're in conjunction with the New England Weaver Seminar, which is coming up in July of 2019. And they'll have a new website up, I believe, at the end of the summer. Uh, this will be, I believe, the 11th time that we have offered within that seminar a beginner's class that runs for, for three and a half days. And webs, loans, equipment for that class. And we turn out, it, it has been full every time, I believe. So we've turned out 12 new weavers every other year. That doesn't sound like a lot, <laughs> but, you know, they all learn the same process. They learn from mm -hmm. each other. That's the other thing about learning in a group is that you don't have to make all the mistakes. You could see somebody else's mistake and then avoid it. 
that's a big plus. So try everything, start small, and if you can, take a three or four day class with one person so you could see from process from beginning to end with one person and stick with that for a while and then go jump off and learn other ways of doing the same thing. Good advice for all of us out there and especially for folks that are new to getting started. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Jane. You are welcome. That's a wrap. This week's show notes are filled with lots of links for how you can find a weaving guild to get involved with, plus beautiful photos of Jane's weaving. You can find the show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 24. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking to Val Ecavaria. Val is a weaver, painter, and designer in California who makes beautiful and captivating weavings from a range of materials. You can tune in next Monday to hear that conversation. And until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.